Going Linux episode 441, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you find this and all episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, you can email us at goinglinux at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail at one nine zero four four six eight seven eight eight nine. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> Weather report over. It's a beautiful over. <laughs> day here too. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, you recall in the last episode I mentioned that I was trying the new release of Ubuntu Cinnamon now that it's an official flavor of Ubuntu and didn't have a lot of luck with it mm -hmm. and i tried ubuntu cinnamon remix and i found things in the control center that were duplicated you know uh the cinnamon version of a setup and a gnome version of a setup uh kind of duplicated in there so there were some niggly little things well with the help of the small box admin, one of the listeners to the show mm -hmm. in our Discord channel, I was able to figure out that the issue was with VirtualBox not having enough RAM and or not having 3D acceleration turned on. So once I made those setting changes, everything worked fine in Cinnamon 23.04. And what I found is all of those niggly little issues that I found in Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix are gone in 2304, and it works nice and smooth. Now, 2304 is not a long LTS. It's a six months, right? That's right. Okay. But it is the first official oh, release okay. of Ubuntu Cinnamon. So it is the, the, the very first. As a as an official flavor. So did they do away with, or did changing the VirtualBox do away with all the duplications? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I went from not being able to boot in uh, 2304 without it crashing to now that it has more RAM and 3D acceleration, it runs just fine. So I was able to actually try it out. The duplications and all the problems I was having was with the uh, the older version, the 20. 2.04 version. So the 2304 is the first official version of Ubuntu Cinnamon. The first official version as an official Ubuntu flavor. Okay. Okay. So I'm glad that they uh, got through the growing pains, but I, that that's kind of what, what we figured that was happening is that they, you know, were, um, I didn't know that this was the, the 2304 would be their official, uh, first official. So they, I guess, um, mm -hmm. they really, uh, cleaned it up and it's now, uh, doing good. As far as, yeah, as far as I can tell, it's rock solid. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually tempted to put it on one of my machines and give it a real go. So what is your, 
uh, initial um, experience? Any any paper cuts or anything you had to do differently than you would in like mate? Um, yeah, there are. Most of them are just differences between cinnamon and mate as desktops, uh-huh. but um, I really like it. Uh, it's very much like Linux Mint in terms of the way it works and the applications and that sort of thing. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed is that it does not have uh, flat pack support by default and it doesn't even do app images by default now it's not difficult to get them set up if you go to the app image hub it gives you instructions on how to set it up for various distributions you follow that and everything works fine uh, and i haven't uh, bothered with flat packs because between deb packages the snaps and the app images i can get all the applications that i use so i haven't really other than that setup which I think we're going to have to go through with various Ubuntu flavors going forward since they're taking out the Flatpak support by default. I think we're going to have to do that for even Ubuntu Mate going forward. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see with the next release. But yeah, it's that, that was really the only significant change that I've noticed. I was able to install Chrome as my preferred my browser. Uh, I found, uh, you know, some other applications that I haven't used since Linus Mint, and everything works just great. Uh, they've got nice, simple, sane ways of setting things up. They've got one way of doing things, the kinds of stuff that you expect from Ubuntu Mate and from Linux Mint is now available in Ubuntu Cinnamon. So pending my trial on real hardware um i'm almost ready to say this would be another one for new users to linux wow because it's easy to set up and it's simple and it's not confusing okay i do have one question about the cinnamon desktop i if i'm right didn't linux mint uh development team create the cinnamon desktop Yes. Okay. Are they are they still in charge of that, or has it been moved to a like a, you know, like you have GNOME and KDE and LXD and all that? Um, uh, I I don't know for sure. Oh, okay. Um, I get the impression that the same developers that are working on Cinnamon, at least some of them, are also working on Mint, but they're treating Cinnamon like its own desktop environment and make it available for other distributions. So you can get cinnamon on multiple distributions, not just on the Ubuntu flavors, not just on mint. And um, so Ubuntu cinnamon has been taking advantage of that. And now we can get cinnamon on the Ubuntu desktop as an official flavor. And, you know, like uh, the Mate desktop uh, is developed as a separate desktop, but a lot of the Mate developers also contributed and continue to contribute to Ubuntu Mate. And a lot of the Ubuntu Mate developers who started there are contributing to the Mate desktop environment. So there's a lot of, a lot of joint effort on the part of multiple folks. Yeah, I was just kind of wondering how that was set up. But, oh, that's good. I'm glad that it's, they uh, got it polished. Yeah. 
I'll have to might have to throw it in the virtual box to look at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And remember to toggle on through the acceleration <laughs> and give it lots of RAM. So <laughs> yeah. So it's good. Good, good. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say RAM. It was video memory. Oh, video memory. Okay. I was looking for. Yeah, make sure it's got lots of video memory, not RAM. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so that, I guess, is our review of Ubuntu Cinema, at least initial review, uh, now that we've taken a look at 2304. Uh, as we get into the long-term support version of Ubuntu's, we'll take another look at it. And in the meantime, I'm going to try it on some real hardware, see how it goes. Shall we get started in our listener feedback? We've got a bunch. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. We've got voicemails this time around from Gabe, Mike, and Sean. Let's start with Gabe's. Okay. Uh, he um, is asking about System76 Mini for personal use. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Bill and Larry. I have a hardware question. I'm considering buying a System76 Mini for my personal use because I need to save space and I'd like to make it all portable. Have you seen any alternative monitor options out there such as a tablet-like monitor which could be recharged? Actually, do you think it's possible to even use a tablet computer as a monitor? Thanks for your opinion on this and thanks for helping me get back into using Linux. My name is Gabe from Los Angeles. Okay. So, Gabe, thanks for that. And you're looking for an alternative monitor that can be recharged. Okay. So, there are some monitors that are sold as rechargeable USB monitors for laptops, so as an extended monitor. And I'm thinking they will probably work um for uh, as a system 76 primary monitor and if you're looking specifically for uh rechargeable basically these are little tablets that are set up specifically as monitors and therefore use primarily intended as a secondary monitor for a laptop so they make them in various sizes you can get them tiny you can get them uh, I've seen them as large as 15.6 inches, which is uh, like a 15 or a 16-inch monitor for a regular laptop. Um, and I have a link in the show notes to a review of one of these for you. And if you just search for portable um, monitor and then the size, 15.6 or 14 or 13, whatever you're looking for, um, that will get you to what you're looking for. And most of these uh, come with either an HDMI or a USB-C uh, connection, which will allow you to connect it to the System76 and give it a shot. Um, you can get these off of Amazon or Walmart, or I'm sure you can get them multiple places as well. But rather than give you a link to one model, I just... We'll give you the link to the review of a monitor that is manufactured by KYY. Um, all of these are Chinese manufactured monitors. Uh, and they are not anything that I have actually tried myself, but I've heard some good feedback from uh, various people who have tried them. 
and they seem to work just fine. Uh, most people have been using them as extension extension monitors for their for their laptops, like a secondary monitor. But I don't see why they wouldn't work in your case for what you want to do. Uh, some come with a stand. Some you can get a stand for uh, if you want to do that. And good luck. Let us know how it goes. Uh, Price-wise, I've seen them as low as uh, $60 US, and I've seen them as high as 100 maybe 200 or 300 for some of the fancy ones with a high resolution, that sort of thing. It really depends on what you're looking for. And if you order them from uh, Amazon or Walmart, if it doesn't work for you, you can always return it. Yeah, I've seen some of those. Uh, one guy had one uh, about a year ago that was uh, actually uh, like a projection screen. So he could... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work that good in bright light, but it yeah. was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you could work in a dim, dimly lit office or dimly lit room. Well, if you had any lights on, you yeah, any lights, you'd have to crank the brightness up on the machine. Yeah. I mean, it was like first generation, so it wasn't uh, that um, uh, that great, but it was a good concept. Yeah. So I, I imagine that they've come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. So Gabe, uh, let us know how it goes. All right, we have a voicemail from Mike, and he said he has some questions about uh, about things like password managers. So let's listen to that and see what he has to say. Hello, Bill and Larry. This is Mike. Um, I've got some questions about uh, things like password managers. If uh, you would maybe do an episode sometime on on um, on password managers and like secure vaults and things like that. I have a uh, I own my own business and I can't spend a lot of time looking these things up. It needs to be simple and quick. I started using Linux Mint as my full-time uh business software cuz uh well, my bookkeeping is software as a service and things like that. But it would be really great to hear like some tips on things like Bitwarden and like vaults for encrypted storage. Just general stuff but i'd appreciate it and uh the show's great i always look forward to the next episode and i appreciate it thank you yeah thanks mike for that and mike actually followed up with another voicemail where he says that he found the answers to all his questions in our episode 408 from may of 2021. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're interested in finding out what we had to say about password managers back then, uh, which isn't really all that long ago, just a couple of years ago. So I don't think much has changed in them. And it certainly has helped Mike. Let's play his second uh, voicemail just so you can hear what he had to say. Sure. Hey, Bill and Larry. I just called a little bit ago about the uh password managers. Never mind. I found episode 408 of May 21 of 2021. And the amazing thing was, is I've actually listened to it. And for some reason, I do not remember it. Anyway, I appreciate you guys. Um, a little quick side note. Whenever I'm out somewhere and I hear someone on a Windows laptop or a computer, and I hear one of the default sounds that they have on Windows, I actually get a little bit triggered. I actually feel a little 
nauseous because I used to have um, I used to have windows, and I have a small business, and I just got tired of it. I think when Candy Crush came on as advertised on the main screen, I said I'm done, and for like the third time. In a month, there was a download, and I couldn't get around it and couldn't get stuff done. So uh, I use Linux Mint. It works really well, and I uh, appreciate you guys. And, uh, yeah, never mind my first message, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And let us know how it goes, how your experience goes with uh, password managers on Linux. Yeah, Um I like Bitwarden. Uh, it's been really good, so I'm anxious to see how he likes uh, using it. It says "Save my bacon more than once," so yeah. <laughs> uh, I used to use one. Now I learned better. So yeah. Anyway, our next uh, we have another uh, voicemail from uh, uh, Sean, and he is wondering how we record the episodes of Going Link. So let's take a listen and see what he has to say in his questions. Hey there, guys. I was wondering, when you record episodes of Going Linux, do you record using automatic gain control with Larry's computer or Bill's computer? Just wondering if you'd been using AGC when recording or not. Thanks, goodbye, and aloha from Utah from your number one pandantic minion, Sean NZ17 Robinson. Okay, thanks for the question. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Sean, uh... Yeah. So the way we do the recording hasn't changed much. We use uh, some software, in this case, Discord, for Bill and I to talk back and forth to one another. But everything we do goes through Audacity. And as far as gain control is concerned, uh, I record on my end through a mixer, and there is some gain control on the mixer. It's kind of an old box. It's about 10 or so years old, maybe even older than that. But uh, it uh, it does the job, and it's got some control of the gain there. And of course, through the audio in the computer, and I'm running Ubuntu Mate, so I have Pulse Audio installed, and I installed the Pulse Audio Volume Control utility, which gives you a lot of control over how things route and what uh, settings there are for inputs and outputs. So I adjust the gain in Audacity, I adjust the gain on the mixer, and I adjust the gain on my laptop's sound card. And basically, I just uh, make the adjustments that way. And the key thing is not to get it overloaded. In other words, don't make it so loud that you're not able to capture all the nuances of the voice. Uh, so make sure that it doesn't peak out, in other words, uh, and make sure that you adjust the volume so that it's not picking up noise, background noise, that sort of thing. And then once it, my, mine is recorded and Bill's recorded, and I'll give you a chance to describe your setup, Bill, in a second. But once I've got both recordings, I put them both into Audacity as two separate channels and then adjust the volume within Audacity so that they are both equal. And what I find is there's a little bit more noise in Bill's recording than there is in mine. 
uh, and probably because I'm going through a mixer and he's not. But at that point, uh, I remove the noise, adjust the gain within Audacity. It's got some tools in there. there there's a, a limiter. There's a gain control there as well. So that's that's basically how I do it. Other than the mixer, it's all done in software. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Paul? <laughs> I'm the poor cousin. I basically don't have a mixer. I do have a mixer, but I, it's not connected. Basically, I use a Logitech headset connected uh, to my laptop and um, uh, use Audacity to record my side of the conversation. And uh, the only thing that I've had to do is uh, in the very beginning, I was overdriving my side of it. So Audacity has a slider that I keep it from, you know, you know being too loud. And uh, try, uh, <laughs> depending on where I am at the time, uh, I try to keep it as quiet as possible, but sometimes it doesn't work. I have a big goofy dog who likes to make noise. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty much, it's all software, and then Larry uh, uh, runs the um, uh, noise profiles and reduces everything, make it sound like I have actually uh, know what I'm doing, which is questionable sometimes. And um, other than that, um, it's just software. Just audacity. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, and it's not automatic gain control, it's Larry gain control. Yeah, it's Larry gain control. <laughs> <laughs> Manual, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard many times from Larry, it's like, uh, what is that noise? And it's because I have a <laughs> fan or something running, or um, occasionally um, I will have uh, used a headset for something like a video call or something, and uh, he'll say, uh, could you turn that down a little bit? You are just, uh, I'm, he I'm hearing everything, and I can actually hear myself talking so you know we've got a pretty good uh, uh set up now where i know where i need to be and then it's larry gain control for everything else and quality control because sometimes uh my side is a little bit noisier than he would like yeah yeah and it works out it, we're, it we're does in good shape so yep okay well that's our voicemails let's get into the emails Okay. Our first one is from Liam, who responded to a suggestion from George uh, regarding his troubles with Synology network attached storage. Hey, guys, just listened to the podcast today at work. I tried George's solution, but it didn't work. But that's okay. My problem was a forgotten password. In essence, I don't know how it changed, but I ended up pushing the reset button and that reset the admin login. Let me create an admin account and not lose any data. So I'm still looking through data to find files on how to open them. I guess I have another question though. In a folder named backups, there are files with names like dpkg.arch.1.gz and dpkg.diversions.1.gz. My intuition is that it's one thing broken into three part file since there's one, two, three, or one through six. I don't know how to open these zip files or if it's just junk. For me, it's docs, music, videos, and pictures that are worth finding. It's a small folder, just really three or four broken up things. And I've also bought an external drive to save my files on as well. And I think I'm backing up onto a USB disk for now. Thanks for your help. 
and the great podcast. So I don't know what these files specifically are. They look from the name like they may be something related to something you installed, uh, but I've not got any familiarity with those. Have you seen anything like that, Bill? I have, I believe, and I could be wrong because I remember uh, I, Arch kind of gives it away. I think they're Arch uh, files, uh, program files. Could be wrong, so don't don't flame me. Um, I did run Arch just to, or Manjaro just to see how it worked, mm-hmm. and um, something is telling me that it is a the dot uh, an Arch like program file. So it could be just individual files um for the system but if i'm wrong don't yell at me yeah okay so they may be safe to delete they may not uh we really don't know enough about it to be able to tell you in answer to your question about how would you open those um if you are using ubuntu there's the file roller program that allows you to open uh files that have been compressed and I think it'll open GZ files. You could probably take a look with that. I wouldn't make any changes to them if you want to save them. Uh, and I don't know what you'd find in there because I don't know what they are. It may be gibberish or you may find something interesting in there. But that's how you would open them if you needed to. I did a quick search on uh, Google because uh, I was trying to see if I was right. And it says the, G, uh, the GZ file is an archive compressed using uh, the GZIP compression technology. So right. uh, I guess if you can find a something that can open GZIP files, it, and you know, basically it's supposed to – it helps you combine your files and reduce the size of them. So um, – if you were running Windows, I guess you could use like uh, WinRoar or Zip, but I'm sure there's a alternative on uh, Linux. I just don't know which programs would handle the GZ. So that could be your files you're looking for. Yeah, that file roller program is the archiving program in Ubuntu, and you might find a different uh, file compression program pre-installed on your Linux distribution, or you can more than likely find one that's compatible with your distribution in the software repositories for your distribution, and you'll probably find more than one. So <laughs> lots to choose from there. Yeah, so let us know if the file roller were open those and if that's the files that you're looking for. Uh, I guess the Arch, well, not both of them. The two examples you sent didn't have Arch. I saw Arch and that kind of made me think, maybe that's, uh, uh, you know, DPKG is uh, the uh, like for the uh, package handling for Linux. Yep. So when I saw Arch, I said, okay, that could... These could be uh, Arch system files, but now that I've uh, used the Goog, uh, I think that uh, that still might be the case for some of them, but some of them might also be his files that are just in that compression format. Yep. Arch may refer not to the Arch distribution, but rather to architecture or something like that. Yeah, that could be. I mean... Don't know. No. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not an expert. Now, now you got me wondering. 
Well, now that we spent about five minutes telling you that we don't know, uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> so our next email comes from Biko, who responded to Avante. Uh, and he says, hi there, folks. He said, in episode 439, Avante recommended a pie hole and an ad blocker. And he also complained about the complexity of pie hole installation. For non-technical users, there is a little bit tool called PMIAB, Poor Man's Internet Ad Blocker, that blocks ads and other unwanted nasty stuff system-wide on all Linux distributions. It's dead easy to use. You, you uh, launch PMIAB and press 1 to block ads. Yes, it's as simple as that. If for some reason you need to disable ad blocking, you press 2 and ad blocking will be turned off. Uh, easy, ain't it? And he includes a link to the repo and he says, disclaimer, he says, I'm the author of PMIAB. <laughs> <laughs> Good plug. Um, the FBI in a public notice stated, December 21, 2022, advised people to use an ad blocker, and he includes the link there, too. A suggestion for Troy, who is looking for some computer buying tips, when possible, try to buy computers from the vendors who treat Linux as a first-class citizen. A couple of recommendations for him. I don't know whether these fits his bill or not, but he also includes a system uh, 76 link and Tuck's computer link, and that that will be on the show notes if you're interested in see what he's suggesting. He said, bye for now, Biku. I appreciate that, Biku. Yes, and thank you for all that information. And I have got to try PMIAB. Maybe I can get rid of some ads. <laughs> Don't you want to set up a pie hole? No, I haven't tried it. <laughs> I heard it can be a little difficult. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually going to try the PMIAB. It uh, sounds like it would come in handy. Yeah. And uh, if it's that easy to use, why not? Even I can use it. There you go. Okay, our next email is from Chris, who asks about a low-end tablet suggestion. Chris writes, I'm considering getting a tablet. The primary use would be reading ebooks, taking notes in plain text, and checking or writing email. I would prefer something cheap since I don't think my use case requires much RAM or space. Are there any tips for cheaper devices that support or run Linux? Just doing a standard internet search. Kindle Fire comes up as a good cheap option, but I would refer to avoid connecting to Amazon stuff. If this question is better suited for the going Linux community, I can ask them. I just don't want to set up another account if not needed. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Any suggestions for Chris? Uh, no, because... Um... Um, I had one until he got to the Linux support. Um, yeah. I, I've been seeing uh, uh, those small. Uh, I, I'm going to plug a, pl a product. I hate it. Um, the small little Apple tablets. They're not. They, you can get them used pretty cheap for like I saw about a hundred. You know, seventy-five bucks, and mm -hmm. um, but it does. But trying to jailbreak a uh, 
iPad, uh, I don't know how easy or if it can even be done. So um, you could look at something like that. If, if, but if it has to run Linux, I do believe there is some um, images and ways that you can flash the Kindle Fires. Um, but I don't know. So, yeah, again, I spent two minutes telling you, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, but <laughs> what I will say is that, yeah, the, uh, Apple mini, I think is the one you were talking about is probably a cheap solution. Doesn't run Linux uh, it supports Linux from the perspective that if you plug in a cable between the Apple Mini and your computer, USB, you can see some of the files on the Mini, uh, not all of them, and it's, you know, locked down Apple stuff. So just expect that. Um, Android tablets in general are what you're looking for. Uh, don't get them too cheap. Uh, unless you get a, a high quality one that's used, but if you get one that says it's uh, an A pad or an R pad or something, don't don't bother with that sort of thing. Um, get a Samsung or something that's you know recognizes brand recognized brand name. Unless you want something that's throwaway and and uh, you know uh, uh, not necessarily top quality if that's what you're looking for. But if you actually want to try running Linux on it, flashing the firmware and trying to run Linux from the tablet, then definitely take a look at some of the uh, better known brands, except for Amazon's. The Amazon Fire, if you use it without modification, uh, it I think this is the one from Amazon. If Yeah, the Kindle Fire, I think, does not give you full access to the... Android Play Store. Uh, so you won't be able to run the applications that you might expect to run on a standard tablet. So I would try to stay away from something that's locked down, like from Amazon or from, uh, from Apple. Uh, but just about any decent quality Android tablet will do. It will be compatible with Linux. It and with some tinkering and some technical playing around, you should be able to get most of those running Linux. So those are my recommendations. Uh, I have used Samsung tablets. I have used uh, an Apple Mini tablet, and both of them will do the browsing and the checking email without any trouble, as you can imagine. Uh, and if you don't require much RAM or space, anything is going to do just fine. Yeah, I will make one more suggestion. Uh, if I know some of the um, uh, Android have where you can put uh, like an SD card for additional storage. So I don't know if that's something that would be um, uh, helpful. Mm, yeah. But uh, just throwing it out there. Yep. Okay, so our next email comes from the Magnificent Ambrose, and he asks about wear leveling. He writes, Gentlemen, I have a question on wear leveling. I can't find an answer, so I thought you and your audience might know. My current laptop is all SSD. 
The disk is divided into 12 to 20 gigabyte partitions. The Linux I run every day is currently on partition 2. From time to time I might have one or two other Linuxes installed on other partitions for testing, but I don't use them often. The remaining partitions are formatted but have nothing installed on them. I run trim once a week as recommended. My question is, is the SSD capable of wear leveling in, across the entire drive or only on partition 2? My guess is that it cannot use blocks from partitions where other Linuxes are installed. I have read in a forum post that wear leveling is able to use blocks from raw, i.e. unformatted partitions, but I haven't been able to verify that. The problem of of course, is that if it can only wear level over the partition I'm using, partition 2, this would contribute to faster wear on that partition. My practice is to completely reinstall every four to six months. When I do, I move down one partition. Eventually, I rotate through all partitions on the drive. It's kind of like a farmer leaving some um, f uh, fields furlough the live furrow which means they don't plant for a season uh, so my so my question is do I need to do this or is the C, uh, SSD capable of using blocks across the whole drive thanks good night and good luck the magnificent Ambrose I was under the impression that a lot of SSDs actually had when they have trim built in that they actually can um, handle that mostly by themselves if the operating system supports it. I could be wrong. What do you know? Yeah, so with trim enabled, you shouldn't need to do any of it. And uh, I think that if you try to do all this maintenance on the SSD drive, you're doing yourself a disservice. One of the things that is different between an SSD and a spinning drive is that um, the SSD only has so many writes. In other words, you can only write to the disk so many times. And every time you go through this maintenance, you're reducing the number of writes available for the SSD. And on a spinning drive, you don't need to worry about that, but you do need to worry about the wear leveling so that you get uh, the m most use out of it. With the SSD, like you said, Bill, it's all taken care of automatically. Now, I think with the fact, Ambrose, that you are uh, reinstalling every four to six months, that and, and with the rotation of your partitions, that's probably doing all you really need, probably doing more than you really need to make sure that the, there is wear leveling, uh, if that is such a thing on an SSD, and I'm not convinced of that. I don't think you really need to do it. Uh, but I think just the uh, the rotation of the partitions is probably doing enough uh, without harming the SSD itself by writing too many times to it. Just be careful how you're exercising that SSD. Don't don't use it any more than you need to through all this maintenance stuff. Yeah, I think he's actually making more work for himself. Um, for by reinstalling every four to six months and then you know moving partitions, I, I don't think he needs to do that anymore. I do know that SSDs now have gotten so much better when, than when they first come out. Their their write cycles uh, 
with normal everyday use should last just fine by just letting it handle itself. Yep. Yeah, and I'm certainly neither one of us are experts in SSD hardware, so you know, take what we say with a grain of salt. Do your research. I don't think you need to be doing half of what you're doing. So just reinstall when you need to reinstall, when there's an upgrade or something like that. That should be enough. And um yeah, I've I've got SSDs that have been running for a long time and have not needed replacement, have not given me any trouble, and I don't do half of this. So um, if my experience is any guide, uh, just reinstall when you need to, and you should be good to go. Okay, our last email is from George from Tulsa, who follows up on his LG Gram laptop. A few episodes ago, he reported that he had uh, purchased an LG Gram, had some problems with the speakers and the sound. So he's giving us a little feedback along the way as to what has gone on. He writes, the internal speakers of my LG Gram started working with this week's update to Linux kernel 6.1.0-1013-OEM. The people who work to support and improve the Linux kernel do good work. Well, George, thanks. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like everything else. You wait long enough and the Linux kernel will have it built in and it looks like uh, su sound support, speaker support for the LG Gram is now part of the Linux kernel as of that version you mentioned. So glad to hear it. Yeah, you know, the people that work on the kernel, I know it's not always the 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 flashiest part of it, but it's it's essential and when they get it right they really do get it right and um yeah we need to th uh thank everybody who contributes to the kernel because that's what keeps linux running on modern newer hardware and even supports uh uh, older hardware that is no longer supported by even Windows, but it's still supported by the kernel and Linux. So they do great work, and we should all give them a hand and say thank you. Yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, that wraps it up for our episode. And in our next episode, we're going to continue with our Welcome to Linux series. This time we're going to talk about Kubuntu. Oh, that's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We provide the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.